Hey, I'm Will, and this is Benj. We're both church planners trying to work out how to form churches in this post-pandemic world. I lead a church that's trying to grow big. And I lead a church that's trying to grow small. But we share an interest in the beautiful and diverse future of the church in Australia. What will it look like? How will it adapt and innovate and thrive? If you're asking these questions too, then join us as we host a range of conversations with diverse thinkers and practitioners around what comes next. Welcome to the Forming Church Podcast, brought to you by Gen 1K and our vision to see a thousand healthy churches in a generation. This episode is brought to you by Baptist Care, a leading non-profit Christian organization serving the aged and people living with disadvantage for over 75 years. Did you know that as well as providing residential aged care, Baptist Care's Hope Street sites create safe spaces for disadvantaged and distressed individuals facing issues such as domestic violence, homelessness, mental health, or addiction issues. If you want to make a difference in your community, then volunteering with Baptist Care is a great way to do that. You can join the team as a pastoral care volunteer or help serve at a Hope Street site or visit residents in aged care homes. On Forming Church, we're always talking about ways that church can connect with the neighbourhood. And volunteering with Baptist Care is a fantastic way to do that. To get involved or find out more, visit baptistcare.org.au. Well, welcome to Forming Church. It is good to have you with us. Welcome, Will. Welcome, Bench. Welcome, listeners. Uh, I'm pretty pumped about this this episode, I must say. Yeah, we've been we've been excited about this one for a little bit. I think it's gonna it's gonna be a doozy. You did make the comment that it could probably go for about four hours if we just let it let it roll. Um, we're getting into a big topic today as part of our little series of uh, Will and Benj play interviewer and interviewee at the same time. Yes, we we've been crowdsourcing episode ideas to end off this little to cap off this little. Season. There's a little nightcap uh, between you and I. I miss talking to you because, you know, if, if anyone doesn't know, Benj and I used to make a podcast called Inhabit. Maybe one day we'll go back. We'll see what happens. But there's a lot more of me and you just, you know, having a chin wag, throwing some ideas around. Yeah, and that's mostly how we caught up, to be honest. And I think, uh, you know, when we're, when we're interviewing someone else, it's like we always catch up, but we invite, you know, a strange third person to come and hang out <laughs> The as third well. wheel yeah. comes, to our, <laughs> comes to our catch up and drops all the wisdom. So we did make a disclaimer at the beginning of our last episode, and we'll do it again, that these episodes are to invoke further conversation. Sometimes our guests are wise sages who know many things or all the things it would seem. They don't know all the things, but they know a lot of things. And uh, we're, we're, we're learners. We're with you, listener, just trying to find our, our way through this, this crazy road of church planting and faith and all, all the stuff, starting things, keeping things going, trying to make sure they're healthy. Yes. So, Benj, I've teased the topic a bit, but what is it? So we are talking all things deconstruction, which is a huge, huge moment, you know, particularly for uh, millennials, but, you know, you know, anyone that's walked with the Jesus um, or grown up in the church, I think goes through some form of deconstruction if, mm. if they're going to mature well. Um, but it seems like a overwhelming tide of people kind of deconstructing their faith mm. at the moment. And I think it is one of the biggest issues we face as a church. Mm. Um, one of the biggest things that we need to grapple with and wrestle with um, as leaders and pastors, not only our own faith, but um, 
helping people develop their faith. Uh, that's kind of that's that's kind of our job description, right? Mm. Um, but it just seems like in droves, people are leaving the church, deconstructing their faith, and and moving to something else and a new form of Christianity or a new form of their faith or or no faith. Um, yeah, and there's different. I mean, some people I think will get into it, but. I think some people are just afraid of the whole idea of deconstruction. Maybe they don't want to talk about it. They don't want to go near it because it just seems like that's a road where people lose their faith. I was actually wondering, I was thinking about it. I was like, you know, there's probably no way to know this, but if if you could somehow like pick the number, let's say 70% of people deconstruct their faith and leave it behind or don't end up back in church or whatever, and 30% deconstruct their faith and emerge on the other side healthy and with a renewed sense of, you know, what they believe and how they participate in community, then rather than running away because the 70% are going that way, I would want to ask what is going on with the 30% that make it through and how can we pump up that number or how can we help people to walk through this path in a healthy way? And I just pull those numbers out of the air, but do you know what I mean? It feels yeah. like people get afraid of this rather than going, how can we genuinely help people to walk through what is a reality of our moment in time in a way that doesn't involve the destruction of their faith. Yes. Yeah, I, and, and I think I, I would question whether you can have healthy faith development at all without having some form of deconstruction. Um, you know, I, uh, is it Walter Brueggemann talks about orientation, disorientation, reorientation, like that happens mm. through, through any, any way that we view God or see the Bible or see the world. Um, you know, the story of scripture is is that. It's like it's creation, it's decreation and and new creation. Like it's like it's that's that's mm. the the pattern of of scripture. And um I think the trouble is that deconstruction has become like its own industry now. Mm. Um and I think that's and it's a loaded word. Like, let's yeah, just say totally. up front, that word carries so much right now. And I, I've come to be one of probably many people who, in many ways, deconstruction is kind of like the, the waters I swim in and the kind of ministry that I see myself as doing is helping people to walk through that well and being honest about my own journey. But I don't really like it as a word and I don't use it that much anymore. And I think there are better words we could use. And this kind of just happens with all language, but once we kind of all latch onto something but it is carrying like the number of different things people might mean when they use that word is staggering. Mm. So we'll get into that a little bit more. And I guess it's important sometimes to have just shorthand. So maybe we could call deconstruction the shorthand word for people who are really just questioning what they believe and and probably to, to greater and lesser extents that can be quite aggressive and it can be quite um, rapid and it can feel like you ask one, you take one thing out and then suddenly, you know, yeah, the whole wall's coming down. Yeah. You throw, you, you pull the thread and it, and it all comes yeah. apart. But we asked you to give us the questions that you want us to discuss on this. We've got plenty of thoughts and we'll unpack them as we go. But um, big thank you to everyone who asked uh, questions in the Facebook group. Simon Nixon, we see you, Simon. Yeah. You're a great guy. We, we appreciate your regular input in we the do. group. Um, ben, do you want to just walk us through some of the things that Simon brought up? 
Yeah, so well, we decided where we're we going to start this episode. We're going to start it with Simon because he's just laid out a, a perfect progression of questions, I think. And there are a ton of questions um, that and comments that put, people have put in, and we'll, we'll try and touch on some of them. But he starts with this. He says, one of the biggest things I worked through when I started to deconstruct was what I believe the Bible was and how I should read it. And then he says, that might be a level of theology and controversy you're not keen to get into. I would say, nay, sir. Nay, we keen. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I would think, and I'm interested in your thoughts, that the, our, our view of the Bible, our hermeneutic, um, our understanding of the Bible is the biggest thing that, that causes deconstruction. Absolutely. I think it's, it's the thing behind the thing. When people often begin to wrestle with an aspect of their faith and ask questions about it, whether that's related to you know, we could talk about things like same-sex marriage or we could talk about people rethinking their beliefs on hell or we could talk about, um, you know, Old Testament violence or there's any number of things, but so often it's, it's wrapped up with how I have been taught that the Bible is supposed to be read yeah. on this issue. Yes. And before even giving any answers as to how to do that, I think that that's just the assumption that maybe often is kind of people don't question that that's the thing behind the thing. They're, and I, t- I say to people all the time that think they have a huge problem with the Bible, your problem's not necessarily with the Bible. It's probably more likely it's to do with the, the tools you were given, the hermeneutics, the framework, the way you've been taught to read it, which involves you bringing your white, middle-class, privileged Australian cultural context or whatever it is. So, yeah, I mean, you said this is the biggest thing. What, why do you think this is the, the thing? Yeah, well, and just to jump on, on what you said uh, just then, is that I, I'm convinced that the 98% of people deconstructing, that is another made-up figure, but uh, are deconstructing their bubble of Christianity, their mm. stream of Christianity, or how they've been taught to look at the Bible or view church or whatever it is, they're not deconstructing Christianity. It's a good point. They're not, they're not deconstructing the way of Jesus. They're deconstructing their stream of Christianity, which entails our, our hermeneutic. Um, I, I think where I see a lot of people come up with it, and, and what I've experienced in my own life, is the movement to seeing the Bible as a very simple book that I read and I find literal instruction of of how to live my life how to how how god loves me um and how to live my life today and i think when we realize that the bible's not like that it doesn't meet that criteria a lot of it comes undone when we realize Mm. that the bible is way more complex than we want it to be um way more nuanced that the Bible disagrees with itself, that the Bible um, uh, actually requires a community of people to read it and different perspectives. It requires... And the Holy Spirit, like I absolutely. think, you know, like we can read it as a as a book to get our academic and um, clinical about, but like if it's a living word, then we need, we need, you know, the Spirit to be part of our reading process. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, for sure. it's kind of it's kind of the move from the seeing the Bible as literal to, um, you know, reading in a literal way to reading it literarily to see see it as literature 
written by human beings in a particular time and a particular place written to a particular people and a particular culture and a whole bunch of surrounding political political things going on um, and written over, you know, 1,500 years and in different continents and by, you know, over 40 authors. You know, all this stuff just makes it really complex, mm. which makes it quite hard, but makes it easy for our, our simplistic view of the Bible to unravel. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's, there's a funny paradox with the Bible, isn't there? Because on the one hand, I think some people keep their faith together by not reading the Bible because they don't actually go to those difficult wrestles that it brings up. So in some ways, not reading the Bible might be easier for you to keep your simple idea of what the Bible is. Mm. When you actually start reading it, you realise that some of the frameworks that we've given or ways we've, we've talked about it they just feel misaligned or disingenuous. Um, and so I actually think there's sort of this weird paradox where reading the Bible can be exactly where God encounters you and transform you, transforms you. But um, some people I think also probably keep a certain kind of faith together because they're not reading the Bible. Mm. Does that make sense? It's a bit yeah, of a yeah. weird... I, like a, a simpler version of faith is what you mean? Yeah, and I think if you read the Bible honestly and you read the Bible with an open heart and open mind as well as with some intellectual integrity and a desire to wrestle and, you know, bring your brain to it, it's actually going to lead you to, it's going to lead you to deconstruction, not just of faith but of yourself and of the systems around you and it's going to lead you to, into like some pretty serious questioning because you just can't actually, you can't actually read the Bible and, and not see the, the messiness and the complexity which to me, makes perfect sense out of a book that, you know, we, we claim is a, a collaboration between the divine and humanity. Like yes. that's, that's, you know, we, we either take, we either take, this is like the big heresy, I guess, and I don't like to use the word heresy because I think people kind of are very quick to point out who's a heretic, but I guess the big heresy is to see Jesus as fully God or fully man and not both, and we do the same thing with the Bible. We either take the divinity out of it or the humanity out of it. Yeah, yeah, if, yeah. Jesus is the Word of God, uh, and He's dust, dust and divine. Mm. Yeah, I love that. Um, I I think part of it is is we need to learn how to read the Bible less like an evangelical and more like a Jew. And what I mean by that is there's often this sentiment within evangelical churches that there is uh, the right way or there is a biblical worldview or a biblical truth that we find from one story or one passage, um, there's, a, there's a right way to read the Bible. Um, and the Bible was, I don't think it was ever intended to be that. And you look at kind of the way that the Jews uh, engaged and wrestled with Scripture, um, you know the Talmud and the and the Midrash are like commentaries on on the Hebrew Bible, and basically there's just like a bunch of rabbis disagreeing with each other, and that's kind of seen as part of like their you know uh, really important text to the Bible. But it's like you know for for often often for evangelicals, the Bible is a way to finish a conversation, whereas mm. you know with the, with the Jewish people it was like the way to start a conversation and to wrestle mm. with it and to like 
share different ideas and to kind of argue over it. And, you know, there's this ancient Jewish saying that says, you know, the Bible's like a 70-faced gemstone. You turn it and you turn it for everything is found in it. Yeah. And that and that um, Tim Mackey, who was, you know, from the Bible Project, he talks about, you know, um, it's ancient Jewish meditation literature. It's not just like a textbook to master, but it's like mm. this thing that we are, we're meant to get into our bones and let it ruminate and, and see it from a different angle and see it from someone else's angle and let it challenge us and shape us. Yeah. Um, and I think we haven't been very good in our churches at allowing space for that, mm. allowing space for different point of views and, and different perspectives because, you know, as pastors, like part of our role is to guard doctrine and orthodox of our church and to teach. And so there is this kind of power dynamic a little bit and this, this um, interesting tension to ride is like we want to teach people what we really believe is is true and the truths about the Bible and truths about God. Um, but maybe it's more important for us to extend out space for conversation and questioning and wrestle and doubt. Israel's yeah. name was wrestle, wrestle mm. with God. Um, and that's actually what we're meant to do as, as our faith grows up where it's, it's a, it's a wrestling and a tumbling and a, and a trying to understand and, and see different perspectives of, of who yeah. God is. And I, like, so I'm just listening to this and thinking, I'm sure there are people that will listen to this that the natural reaction is to want to defend the Bible and, um, and to want to, you know, honour uh, the sacred book and, and this central part of Christian faith. And I just want to say, you know, if you're listening and you're thinking, oh, man, have Will and Ben just like chucked out the Bible? Like I want to say just like breathe, relax, it's okay. But I think that attitude that we need to control the narrative of Scripture or how people engage with it or the experience that they have with it can be part of the, part of the thing here that does cause people to disengage or to, you know, deconstruct aggressively or to leave. And I wonder what would happen, like open question, what if we actually unleashed the Bible rather than kind of controlled it within our particular framework? We actually opened it up within the framework of like, let's, what questions does this really raise for you that you felt like you couldn't ask? And can we create a safe space for that? That's a big open question and I think Simon actually asks it. Yeah, can his next question was, can churches be safe places for people deconstructing? Now I want to say, I think there's a way that you can honour the Bible. You can, you can view the Bible through your, you know, um, experience that you've had of it. You can hold it highly. Um, but if you want to keep our generation in your church, if you want to keep millennials in your church, then you have to create some places where people can have really honest, raw conversations about the parts of the Bible they struggle with. Absolutely. If you can't do it, they're going to leave. And, you know, if you, I think if you're truly being informed by the Bible, and I don't want to do the same thing I would criticise, and you know, I think we should be careful with what we call a biblical worldview because like you alluded to, there's, there's biblical worldviews. Yeah. But, but I want to say that I think being biblically informed would lead us to prioritise you know, creating the kind of places where people can genuinely dialogue and engage with it. Like you said, scripture, like Israel meaning wrestle, scripture does have all kinds of ways it appears to disagree with itself. The best definition I've heard of it is, um, you know, scripture invites us into wisdom and wisdom doesn't have any like blanket rules or one size fits all answers. Mm. It's all about context. So how do I understand this part of scripture? Maybe, maybe what scripture is supposed to be doing to me is teaching me 
to have the wisdom to wrestle with what it means in this time, place, moment, situation, etc. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I think you're so right. That the Bible doesn't need to – you don't need to defend the Bible. I think it can defend itself. Um, mm. And we need to engage with it. And, and I think we need to be, you know, as, as leaders, we are advocates of the Bible and, and, and we want to um, see Scripture form people for sure. But we do have to create spaces for, for that wrestle. I've got this quote here. Um, I, I don't know who it's by, but it says, truth does not mind being questioned. A liar does not like being challenged. And I think we have to, it, it's actually a sign of security mm. where we could have a conversation with someone that maybe is questioning a belief that we hold dear or questioning something that, you know, we're really sure about or I'm really sure about. Um, but you you are you are not that truth, you know, and, and the Bible can defend itself. Mm. God doesn't need to be defended. He can defend himself uh, very well. The spirit doesn't need to defend himself. Um, but we, we just create space for that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I think one thing just to be conscious of here, and this is going to apply for a lot of this conversation, some people deconstruct because, I don't know, it's trendy, it's the thing to do, it's what's happening. Some people get brought into deconstruction, I think, because they realise they've had traumatic experiences or because they realise they've had very bad theology, toxic theology taught to them. And there can be real pain and wounds there. And sometimes shoving the same scripture in their face that has been used in a coercive or abusive way is actually not going to be the answer. And so, like, even in terms of if somebody is in a spot where they're, like, wounded and hurt and that is wrapped up in, you know, bad religion, um, then how we teach people to re-engage with Scripture might be a very long, slow path and we need to honestly grapple with what that looks like. Um, Yeah, I just I read an article the other day about, you know, just that prayer and scripture and certain parts of church, like for somebody who's experienced trauma in that context, you know, those things can be triggers if you aren't doing the work of working through the trauma Mm. as well as learning how to re-engage in a fresh way. Mm. So I don't necessarily have the answer here, but I'm just saying take that pastoral work seriously because it really matters. Like those people should be able to access all the goodness and the life-giving nature that is there in scripture, we maybe just need to ask what, and, and, and like we talked about the Bible being the thing behind the thing, but there's also usually something that has kind of triggered that journey into spiraling out with various questions and, and there's probably a hurt there. And so ask what, what is the hurt that has been brought to the surface or named here rather than just what is making you feel anxious? No, it's good. Simon asks here, are there consistent theologies, ideologies, experiences that lead to deconstruction? Do you think there is anything consistent? I think I think just like a couple things in our moment in time, the obviously the widespread nature of information, the you know, multitude of voices that are speaking to us at any one point in time. Um, and I think the the filtering of U.S. politics and evangelicism over here, as well as 
institutional child abuse, things like that. I mean, just that that's just a whole messy cocktail. It's not necessarily yeah. consistent theologies or experiences, but certainly there's a lot of ideology wrapped up in that. Yeah, no, I agree. I And my experience for most of the people that are deconstructing that are not deconstructing because of some sort of trauma, it has come, it's tied with the US. It's tied with the evangelical church and the kind of ex-evangelical movement of people that have deconstructed and are have huge followings now. Mm. Um, and um, people kind of getting a part of that. And, th- and there's, some, there's actually some good and there's truth, truth to everything. Um, but then assuming that the same is true in Australia, where the evangelical church in Australia is quite different to the evangelical church in America. Um, and the political movement, and there, you know, there are there are some similarities, and the world is globalizing. But I reckon that is a that is a consistent thing. The other thing that is huge is just sexuality. Like that is that is one of the biggest, mm. um, uh, maybe trigger of of deconstruction against a a more you know um, traditional uh, Christian worldview. Um, yeah, I mean, I'd love to have a stat on how many millennials left the church after the same-sex marriage plebiscite yeah. because, you know, that that was definitely one of those trigger points. So I think you're exactly right there. Mm. Okay, here's the last question. Um, how do you have a conversation with someone deconstructing that doesn't belittle their experience or shut down their questions? I think there is a fear of people trying to win them back or just defend churches and pastors. How do, you, how do you help someone who's like in the, in the middle of, you know, their faith falling apart? Mm. What would you do? Or what think, do you I do? Think, I think I've experienced <laughs> some of this in other contexts that aren't even faith-based. But, um, you know, we need, to, we need to slow ourselves down enough to ask, what does this person really need right now? And sometimes what we think they need is the correct argument to counteract their question or whatever. I've been this person many times. Mm. I did a philosophy degree. I just love to argue with people well. But I've learned over time that so much more often people need to feel safe. They need to feel heard. They need to feel like they're really being listened to. And so if you work, if you're a pastor or if you work in a church or if you're passionate enough about the church to listen to this podcast... Many of us, our natural impulse will be to get on the defensive, will be to try and justify. And I think it's a really hard muscle for us to grow, but to grow the muscle of listening non-judgmentally. And I think the, one of the big things that, like if it, this is probably one of the biggest things I would want to say in this conversation, is that allowing people to genuinely go on their faith journey means that we have to let go of our sense of control of other people. And as soon as people feel like we're trying to be open as long as they end up back where we want them to be, they're not going to want to engage with us. Mm. And so that the letting go of control is going, I'm going to have this conversation with this person. I want to see them flourish. I want to see them know Jesus. I want to see um, the, the most beautiful vision of, you know, the Christian life lived through them. But I'm going to have a much better chance of having that outcome if I give up on my sense of controlling the outcome. Like, yeah. you know, and I just, 
I just journey alongside people, be honest, be non-threatened, be non-anxious. Yeah, those are some thoughts. What do you reckon? Yeah, oh, no, I, th- I think it's, I, you know, part of the pandemic for me has just been learning how, how, how little control I have, actually no control over people. <laughs> what they do, how, how they react, what happens with their deconstruction or their faith when I'm not around. Um, and I think as leaders, we do have to come to grips with that. Um, the other thing I, I would often ask, you know, I have these conversations a lot of people deconstructing or questioning faith, wrestling. It's, it's normal. I think it's the thing we need to say is this is completely normal for you to wrestle with faith and ask bigger questions. It, it's part of your faith growing up. But I'll often ask people, what do you want from me right now? Like, do you, do you want a conversation mm. partner, like a dialogue partner? Do you want just someone to listen? Do you want me to help you with some resources? Do you want me to to argue back? You know, so, some people actually do want that. They want mm. to, like, engage in the exchange. Um, and until you ask people, you don't know. So I think that's that's a really important thing. And then the other thing that often... I think that's really important when anyone's disclosing anything that's kind of deep um, to them is just to underreact. Mm. Just go, oh yeah, that's 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 interesting. Tell me tell me more about that. Um, the moment we overreact, there's like shame involved. There's kind of the fight or flight thing, um, and so just kind of just just be there, listen. Um, yeah, that's good. Use use your ears more than your mouth. It makes me think nobody who's genuinely wrestling with their faith and rethinking things is going to resolve that in one conversation, right? It's just not going to happen. And I don't think God wants that to happen. God wants to grow people up and that takes time. But the question would be, is my posture and response in this conversation likely to leave this person wanting to have another conversation with me? Like that's a good question to ask, right? Because if, if this is going to be a, a multi-conversation journey, it's not going to get wrapped up in one, am I posturing myself in such a way that they'll come back for another one? Mm. Um, you touched on uh, something that Louise Bartlett also put in her comment, which is about the, the actual healthy nature of um, deconstruction and reconstruction in normal faith development. She said, faith development isn't a perfect linear progression Deconstruction often occurs in our late 20s, early 30s. There's lots of models that speak about this as well. If you're interested, you know, you can look at Fowler's stages of faith or things like that. But this is really interesting. She's brought up this point. As a community of believers, we need to think carefully about who we are doing this deconstructing with. When those in their 30s deconstruct their faith or faith practices alongside those in younger generations, this can be quite damaging for those in earlier stages of faith development. Without usually older people who have deconstructed and reconstructed their faith healthily, alongside those in the midst of that process, people can end up with their faith <clears throat> a pile of rubble, not seeing the good bricks that can be used for reconstruction. Good point, Louise. Such a good point, Louise. It, it is really in, important. I think if, if we would just, just for simplicity's sake, um, put, put faith formation into three phases, like construction, deconstruction, reconstruction um i know it's 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 way more complex than that but it is important like construction is a really important part of faith development um and it is really important for kids to um 
engage with God in a simple way. It is really important for new Christians to engage with God in a, in a simple black and white way. But as we mature, you know, there's nuances and there's gray. Um, and that is kind of what triggers deconstruction is because we go, oh, it's not actually black and white. There is like a, there's something else going on in here. Um, and so it just makes me think that it's really important that the, that the church is, has people at, at every stage and that there is kind of this intermingling but it is it is really important and, and Todd brought up this point as well that like often you'll have a youth leader who's deconstructing helping a young person who's constructing um, and that is kind of a really weird dynamic that probably we haven't seen so much of until the last five or ten years um, and so there's some there's some murky water there to to travel and and tread and and to realize that um you know, there are certain things, the way that my brain works, I need to, I need to dig into things and, and ask questions and wrestle with things um, that, that other people just don't and they, like, they won't in their life. Mm. Like certain people won't care about substitutionary atonement or, mm. or um, you know, whatever it is, like eschatology or, um, you know, creationism you know whatever it is like or sexuality yeah. like some some christians are just like actually don't need to wrestle in that depth mm. and it's important to realize that that there are different needs and different personalities and and some people are extreme and some people are on the other end and so um there is no blanket way to approach this. yeah and i think that it's probably changed now because there are these like growing communities and deconstruction influences but I think part of the reason why this sort of stuff has happened is that most questions that people ask when they're deconstructing their faith, they, they, can be, they, can, they can make you feel very isolated because you feel like if you're swimming in a context where no one's asking that question out loud or it's never being named, you feel kind of naughty or you, you, know, you feel like you are some sort of heretic and so you internalise that, but then it will just come out. It'll start coming out if it doesn't have safe places. So it might come out with your youth kid because you like suddenly think, well, I'm going to change the trajectory of their, you know, I don't want them to have to go through what I just went through because it's disorienting. Like I think we should remember that it's not a fun experience. People aren't deconstructing because it's like a fun thing to do. It's incredibly distressing and disorienting yeah. it, it can be. And, and so what I would say is that um, if we can not necessarily bring every age group into those conversations, but if we can normalise a conversation about different stages of faith and if we can kind of do whatever we can to combat the potentially the isolating feelings of these conversations, um, maybe we can, we can help to mitigate some of that, you know, accidental damage that might be done. And if you're listening to this and you're like an older seasoned Christian who has been through this, and you have kind of reconstructed and maybe you've been through this process multiple times. Which you get, likely have. Get around some some 20-year-olds, some 25-year-olds, some 30-year-olds and actually talk to them openly about it. I know that some of my friends that their deconstruction journey has led to just kind of being done. They just haven't had those, mm. those older examples. Whereas I would point to them, I'd go, I feel okay about this because I know people who are still in church who are many years ahead of me who have spoken openly with me about their own struggles, wrestles, questions. That's really helped me because I go, if they can still be here and be a settled, calm presence and they've been through it, like it just, you, you, you need to be able to see people on the other side of what you're going through. 
Otherwise, you just won't believe that it's a possible destination. So um, all those that have been through this in previous generations, please make yourselves known. We need you. Yes. There's another question here that I think tails onto that well. Um, It says once people start deconstructing, they can easily get sucked into an online information vortex that takes their doubt and drives it towards unbelief. Um, There's always another YouTube video lined up through the algorithm uh, ready to poke holes in your faith framework. It's not that doubt is bad or that we shouldn't ask hard questions about our belief system, but when people are confronted with a barrage of doubt-inducing information way more quickly than they can helpfully process it, it's like a wrecking ball rather than a piece-by-piece dismantling. Um, and I reckon that that is, that is what a lot of people are experiencing because there is a, such a growing um, movement and momentum of of you know, a bunch of podcasts and, and websites and all sorts of actually helpful stuff, but it's like you you just opened up mm. the fire hose and just getting flooded with all this stuff. And it's yep. just like instead of instead of a renovation, which is an illustration that I want you to talk about in a second, it is just a complete demolition of your faith. And it happens like we see that not just in faith world, but we see like toxic masculinity or like groups of young men gathering around, you know, a certain identity that is hyper um, masculine or whatever. Like we see through that online fire hose all kinds of harmful trends grow traction because because those algorithms and stuff. Yeah. So it is another reason to like help people become, you know, literate in how they navigate information. But yeah, the renovation example I think is is one that has been really helpful for me. And basically, I, I have come to think of my Christianity as like a house that I grew up in. I grew up within this faith, within this story. I grew up, you know, um, with Jesus, and um, it's an old house. It's a house that was there before I was born into it, and it's a house that like needs some repairs. And it's a house that, you know, it's maybe it's heritage listed, like it's beautiful, but the plumbing needs work and there are certain rooms that we could update and there's some mould growing in places and, you know, there's a lot of upkeep. But if I just go in and try and reno the whole house in like one weekend, I'm going to be exhausted. I'm, I'm not going to have a house to live in. There's going to be stuff everywhere. So I just think this is a useful image to talk to people about if it feels like part of your faith is kind of coming a bit undone or you're asking some really difficult questions or you're not sure about some things, leave some rooms intact Mm. and continue to like think of it as a house that like in my mind, I'm not, you know, going to leave this house. I'm going to die in it. But I hope that throughout my life I continue to uh, renovate and remodel and appreciate some of the, the, the legacy of what has come before me while also being able to, you know, add my own touches. And I think a house is a good metaphor for it as well because a faith is not something that you do on your own. It's a place where you can bring people in. I want mm-hmm. people to eat at the table of, of my little house that I live in. Um, so, yeah, I think these kind of metaphors that we use, I know that there's a guy named Bradley Jersak who I really, really love his stuff, but he talks about deconstruction is a, is a word that just sounds a little bit, um, it can sound negative and aggressive, whereas if we talk about renovating faith, it's like one word that has the deconstruction and the reconstruction in one and it's for a positive purpose, even though renos get messy. So... Take that and use it if it's helpful. Yeah, well, it, it, that makes me feel like 
you you're turning deconstruction into a faith formation. It's it's part of our discipleship. It's part of us growing up and maturing as as people. And I I like that that analogy of bringing other people in. And I think about bringing like trades in like you know someone to do the bathroom you need someone Mm. who's who's an expert and has really thought about this and done it a lot and sometimes that that's helpful someone that actually has expertise in that um there's a question here how do we help people access helpful resources as they deconstruct their faith how do we do this in a way that doesn't come across as censoring so, like, if, if we're going to guide people through maybe a renovation of their faith and their living room needs to be renovated or their bathroom, um, one thing that could happen is they could get the wrecking ball out and, and see the onslaught of, you know, the whole, the whole industry. Um, or we can, we can try and help people and point people in, in the right way. Um, how, do you, how do you think about that? Yeah, I think... Um I think it can be super helpful. Like I think one of the things that has helped me to go through various, you know, experiences of deconstruction and existential existential crises um, is reading books where people, you know, address those questions head on but gave me fresh ways to look at it. So I think the right books, podcasts and resources can be like a lifesaver. Um but it should be in the context of relationship. And so rather than just chucking stuff at people or rather than them feeling like you're just giving me this book to try and stop me from reading the other one or you're just pointing me in this direction of this podcast because you heard I was listening to the other one, you know, we need to be like relationally sensitive in how we, how we do that. And, and, you know, I just encourage you as well like um, to, to be open. I, I think that it totally shifts the conversation when you start by saying to someone, oh, I've had questions about that too. You know, I've wondered about that too. I've found it hard to believe that particular thing. Um, here is something that helped me, mm. might help you. Um, but I, I think just the more that we can kind of be vulnerable with our own questions, and they might be very different questions, but that, you know, like shifts us from being like the oracle of wisdom who you feel intimidated mm. to talk to, to just being, yeah, a fellow fellow pilgrim on the journey. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think offering a variety of resources as well. Yeah. Like like both ends of a spectrum. And I think it's important for us, you know, as leaders that we are actually we have trusted voices and I've I've really, you know, the last year really tried to cultivate this people that I trust that are really conservative theologically, people that I trust that are really progressive mm. theologically. Um and what that has done is has made me a, a more critical thinker and and a, a more whole person instead of just you know going down the rabbit hole of of one kind of ideology actually to listen to a bunch um if nothing else for the very reason that you know your people are listening to that to to those things anyway um but to find some good trusted voices and even some voices that you don't trust as well throw them in there as well but um to listen and and read really widely Mm. Um, I, th- I think it, it opens you up to a more humble position. You can see the best in both, both sides, um, get rid of the straw man arguments cause you know, it's, 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 it's not helping anyone. Um, yeah. So I think, I think that's an important thing that it, it really starts with us that we are, we have resources to offer because we are listening and reading 
widely and and engaging and and uh, whenever we can, we're we're willing to ask the hard questions of ourselves and our own faith. Um, yeah. we're, we're renovating as well. We're consistently renovating our faith, and and that has been um, my experience. And I think I have renovated a lot of my faith, and partly. I've done that in a healthy way because of you, Will, who I reckon was a few years ahead of me um, in, in parts of my deconstruction or renovation. And I saw you as a model who was someone who loved Jesus still and was part of church and had walked through some of that stuff and still, mm. you know, still, still part of the faith. Thanks, man. Yeah. I appreciate that. This episode is brought to you by Morling College. As well as their great theological study options, Morling run free courses, open nights, and public events on topics like transforming vocation, faith in action, bioethics, and more. And if you're a church planter, they even run a church planting course called Scent. They have a range of scholarships, campuses in Perth and Sydney, as well as online study options. You can find out more at morling.edu.au. So Brian McLaren has a thought that when we get to the point of deconstruction, there's usually two, two paths that we take. One is the way of the cynic and one is the way of the mystic. Two, two opportunities. Um, Carl Rayner has this quote that I love and I, I think about it a lot. He says, the future Christian will be mystic or none at all. And I just think that's such an interesting um, way, and it, it might be it's it's um it might be a scary a scary thing for some people, but actually the way of the mystic and the contemplative of opening ourselves up and being okay with mystery mm. and nuance and gray and opposing views, um, I reckon there's something really beautiful about that, and I think as our world becomes more complex like the, the simple version of our faith doesn't, doesn't hold up as much mm. um, and, and needs, needs some, some renovating, um, not because it's wrong or unhelpful, because it is helpful, um, but because the way of Jesus and, you know, even back to Judaism, it has been so complex, you know, um, and I think part of, like, uncovering that, like, mysticism of, like, like leaning into the mystery of God, leaning into the, um, you know, contemplative practice, le- leaning into, um, you know, whatever it is that you're finding helpful is a rediscovering of, of the ancient way and the Desert Fathers and, you know, some like historical Orthodox Christianity, um, you know, that's in our bones and in our roots. Mm. Um, what do you think about that? Like that, that kind of deconstruction can head towards cynicism or, or mysticism. Yeah, I like it. I mean, I think we all know that it can head towards cynicism and I think cynicism like is just a fatiguing place for anyone to be long-term and I think that partly what happens is that people end up in that place but they don't find an alternative that satisfies them if if it is built on cynicism and even some of those movements that you see online around deconstruction and stuff I think there's probably more and more people now as well that are feeling that even within those groups those groups are questioning their identity and those groups you know it's just trying to keep up with the latest correct thing to say um 
it's exhausting. Yeah. But but mysticism, I think, is a great, you know, that's a great way to think about the alternative because there has to be like, not in a simplistic way, but there's like this tension point here with there has to be moments of surrender. And when I say not in a simplistic way, I mean I think that people should be really intellectually engaged with their faith. It's really important to me that I can be really deeply intellectually engaged with my faith and the Bible and, and reason and things like that. But there's also just a limit to being human and trying to cultivate a relationship with the creator of the universe and, and understand the mysteries of the divine. You're never going to be able to figure out an answer to everything. So mature faith has to lean into mystery, has to lean into um, more listening than speaking, you know, has to become a bit more comfortable with not everything is going to wrap up with a, with a clean tied bow. So I like that a lot, Bench. Yeah, and it, um, it reminds me to point it back on, point the spotlight back on myself as well and, and work out where am I cynical. Mm. And I can be cynical of, you know, the ultra right and the ultra left. Like I, I am very cynical. Bob Goff says that cynicism is is um, fear posing as confidence, mm. which I love. And so like those parts of me that are cynical, it's a good question. You know, what am I afraid of? Yeah, it's good. And, and the whole thing just makes me think, man, like everything in our world right now wants us to be identified as part of a certain tribe, to, to slap on a certain label, to say the right things according to the group that we're trying to get approval from. And, you know, what would it look like if we approached this area of people deconstructing and, and, and you know, going through faith change? What if we just tried to find the common humanity between us. We might, we might see somebody exploring ideas that feel threatening to us or someone whose expression of faith is, is becoming very different to ours. Um, but how can we, you know, I guess see God's image in them even in that place and in ourselves, you know, and how can we see our own hypocrisy? And, yeah, it just is very, very quickly becomes another tribalism, us versus them. And I think, like it kind of links in with the mysticism thing, but like non-dualism, you know, is, is the ultra mature faith movement of being able to, to genuinely hold the tension and being able to see, um, you know, different things, not as having to win out against each other, but being different expressions of the mystery and, and the tug of war actually being quite important. Um, you know, it's interesting as well, like, we're in this moment where it seems like our faith is going rapid deconstruction. It probably felt like this when the printing press came out. It probably yeah. felt like this when everybody, you know, was able to read a Bible in their own hands for the first time. There are these moments in history where rapid change happens because of the way that people get brought into the conversation. And it's super scary at the time, but like you've kind of said this as well, but like we're building on a history where this thing has always been an unfolding wrestling conversation and so I just wonder like if we if we position ourselves within a longer timeline and we help people in our churches that are deconstructing to do that as well to actually say hey well you know what might have been some moments like this beforehand 
you, just, you think you're the first person to ever ask a question. <laughs> you think you're the first person to ever have a doubt. Yeah. Um, part of what people want to cut free from is, I guess, tradition. But, but in a healthy way, tradition can be actually what anchors us or re-anchors us. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And, I mean, the, the, the character journey, caricatured journey of deconstruction is kind of like moving away from fundamentalism into like super woke theology or just super woke general in mm. culture in general, which is just a move from one sort of fundamentalism to another. Mm. Um, and the thing that I find so beautiful about Jesus is that he refuses to kind of play that game mm. and always finds a third way, a surprising way, whether it's between, you know, Sadducee and Pharisee or, um, you know, tax collector and, um, and zealot or, you know, Rome and Jerusalem. Like he, he always seems to find this, the surprising way. And I, and I think there is something in that for us as, as followers of Jesus that um, if, if, if our theology is only based in one camp or another, I reckon that's well worth questioning, you know, where our allegiance is. Mm. Um, and, I, and, I, and I, you know, I point that question at myself. Um, and I think it's so helpful, and this is what I found so helpful in my own journey, is to just open myself up to the the historical movement of Christianity and the different the different even even today like you know exploring Catholic faith and um, Greek Orthodox and like just the different ways that other followers of Jesus think about these things mm. is so helpful even if I end up in a place where I disagree with them like just to just to know that there are other faithful loving very smart intellectual people that are thinking about this same question, this same problem and arriving at a different answer is so comforting to me because it means it gives me freedom to wrestle and go, actually I can wrestle with this issue or I can allow this person to wrestle with this issue. And actually, you know, it's not often we think there's, there's certain things, whether it be, um, you know, sexuality is a huge one where we think if, if we come to a different view, then we're no longer a Christian or we're no longer mm. a, a, a real Christian or whatever it is, or someone who's come to a different view than us. Um, but there are followers of Jesus who have thought about these things differently, you know, all, all through through time. Um, and so I just think it's it's so helpful to, to broaden our perspective, broaden who we're listening to, um, stay centered and stay, stay connected to community, of course. Um, but there is always a third way uh, yeah. when the world wants to polarize and put us in one camp or another. And that, like, when you zoom the lens out, you look at all the disagreement, you look at all the tribes, all the groups, all the factions, and that's just within Christianity, not to name, you know, all of the other different ways humans disagree and, and take different angles. But when, when I do that, I basically just come to the conclusion that if the way to be saved is through being right, about all of that stuff, we're all screwed. Yeah. And it's just I mean, straight up. Like it's just like if, if there's so many different ways to get it right according to different Christians, then that's not a very good gospel, is it? So it makes me just think obviously and, and deconstruction is often a head game. 
And it's often a game of what are the right things to believe or what are the, the right things to cut loose from my beliefs or all of that. But faith is not just a head thing. And this has been one of the big things that for me, as I've walked with people through this, I'm like, again, engage in some dialogue, you know, stretch your brain muscles, ask different questions, consider different theological views, but get some faith in your bones, you know, have some practices that like a mystic, you know, expose you to God in nature in a way that you can't really put words around. And, and I think that again, like if, if you're, in a, in a church plant situation or if you're pastoring and, and, and you've got people that are going through this stuff, then the conversations are important, but it's about the heart. It's about the spirit. It's not just about the head. And so I find that I have friends that they really don't know what they believe in their head right now, but they're still quite happy to engage in something that moves their heart or something that, um, you know, friends that, and, and it's interesting because sometimes it's things that people that have just totally got confused about what they think about the Bible, but when they engage in a worship song, it can be a space where they can really reconnect with something that all the head games can, can make you feel divorced from. So I just think it's super important to, to balance conversations um, with helping people to experiment with different practices. And that might be stuff from different streams of Christianity. If someone's run into a roadblock and they don't know how to pray anymore, you know, teach them the examine mm. or, or something like that. Help them to explore Sabbath. Um, and over time, I think, you know, I'm just speaking from my limited experience, but I think that the, the, the journey of even something like deconstruction, you know, it, it – you, you will come back to craving stability. You'll come back to craving community. You, you will, there are these basic human needs that Jesus and the church can meet that if we haven't burnt the bridge with people, I think sometimes people need to leave in order to come back, mm. but they will come back if we keep our posture right mm. and we do what we can to not, yeah. It's sort of a, again, it's like surrendering control but also going, what are the things that we can give people that ensure that fr from our end there, there is warmth and there is safety and there is belonging mm. rather than judgment and, you know, derision and uh, unkindness. And, and maybe we could do those things with ourselves as well would be nice. Mm. Yeah, I, th I think the notion that any one person could hold the, few, the, the full view of God is... Um, it's pretty illogical. Steve Cuss says, um, you know, that that God only expects us to be human size. Henry, Henry Nguyen says we need to forgive each other for not being God. And I think sometimes we need to forgive ourselves mm. for not being God. That there are going to be views that I hold today that I'm going to find out in the new heaven and the new earth were completely wrong. <laughs> But I need to have grace and have a, a humility and a posture to hold on strong to what I believe, work out what, what is the core of, of, of my faith, um, wrestle and have views and ideas on things and have conversations with people and you know, listen to podcasts and read books and you know, go and love my neighbor and practice contemplative prayer. Um, and I need to you know, hold 
hold all that quite loosely um, if if I'm going to be formed. You know, to, to be formed, you need to be kind of malleable mm. and, and open to God, continue to change you. Um, and we need to do that in a safe way. We need to do it in community, obviously. But um, I think just to realize that as leaders and pastors, we are always being formed and reforming and going through renovation and renewal. And uh, we need to continue to create spaces for others to do that as well. Mm, good stuff. Well, um, we've had a wide-ranging conversation but barely scratched the surface. And uh, I push this back to you, dear listener, to continue to have this conversation, which matters. We do not present to you a bunch of answers. You can deconstruct this episode if you want and uh, tear it apart. <laughs> but um, Sure, it would be very easy to. Yeah. I'm sure it would be. <laughs> I, I want to give a shout out to a couple more of the comments that I think, you know, without even going into great depth, they just hold some really good thoughts to have in the mix. Jamie Freeman, you know, you touched on the role of the Holy Spirit in creating healthy space for deconstruction and reconstruction. And, and he touches on the control piece. And um, I think that that's a, a big part of some of the stuff I was trying to say as well is how do we actually sit with people and, and acknowledge that if we're journeying with people, it's not just me and the other person, but it's me and the other person and, and an attentiveness to yeah. what is the spirit doing in this space and I'm not the main voice. Um, and Casa, uh, Nick Casa said, you know, exploring the dynamic between environments that heal and fuel people in their deconstruction and reconstruction. And I think that's a, it's a pretty good way to think about, um, you know, our environment just plays a huge role in who we become. Me and you have talked about this a lot. And so it's less about, you know, I think it's often less about having the right ideas and being in the right environment. And if we're in an environment that feels like there's an appropriate mix of safety and challenge, if we're in an environment that feels nurturing, if we're in an environment that is self-aware of its own, you know, um, shortcomings, um, I think that cultivating that kind of environment is, is more important than having the best you know, argument. You, you might have the absolute best argument in the world for every single different matter of faith and yet you might be creating an environment that is cold. And, are invi- and so I, I just think, and again, the spirit is a part of it, but how can we invite the Holy Spirit into our small churches, our large churches, our Bible studies, our coffee catch-ups, our walks with people, um, man, I think that my faith has been so, it it has benefited so much from the kind of environments that trusted people have created for me. So Mm -hmm. let's do that for other people. Amen. All right. Well, throw us some thoughts in the Facebook group and uh, go gently with yourself and those around you. And thanks for being part of our little forming church community here.